my name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode four of the show where we are picking up our journey through the early days of Marvel, getting to the last issue that was published before Marvel busted out a whole bunch of monthly titles. Yay. So we're going to actually have that transition in this episode. So the last issue for these, what we've been calling pre-monthly titles, <laughs> um, yeah. is Hulk number two, which came out in May of 1962. Am I right about that? Probably. Let me see. That's after April. May. Yay. Um, and it's once again my turn to summarize... And for some reason, we've made a joke so far that I keep getting the bad books. And this is no exception. So I will try and remember <laughs> what horror lies within these pages. Um, you know, it, it'll be less bad if you uh, don't focus on the details. It's kind of like, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Breeze through the highlights. I'll just breeze through it. Okay. So it opens with the Hulk smashing around. I guess they haven't figured out how to contain him yet. And he's in a small town and he's beating everybody up. And Rick Jones comes along and says, hey, hey, slow down, buddy. And he turns back to Bruce Banner. And then they reminisce about how he became the Hulk, which we've already gone through. Meanwhile, the Toad Men from space, two of them show up and they have magnetic powers, um, which they use to do all sorts of fun things. One of the things they can do with their magnetic powers is they can use their magnets to find the smartest man on the planet which they're going to do to see if that smartest man on the planet can stop them from invading the Earth. So we cut back to uh, Bruce and Rick, and they're all, like, geared up, ready to go really solve this whole Hulk problem. And they go into the mountains where Bruce has this whole cave situation set up with this door, and he's telling Rick, you know, when I turn into the Hulk, we're going to put me behind this door, and then I can't get out or do anything bad, and you just let me out every day, right? And as they're debating the awesomeness of that plan, the mole, they're mole men, wow, the toad men find the smartest man on the planet, which is Bruce Wayne, and they, Bruce Wayne, damn it, I did it again, Bruce Banner, <laughs> which is Bruce Banner. Although Bruce Wayne would not argue with you on that point. No. If this was DC, maybe they'd find Bruce Wayne. But it's Bruce Banner. Um, and they use their magnetic powers to capture both he and Rick. And they take him up. And they talk about how they're going to take over the world. And then they decide, we don't even need Rick. So for some reason, they let him go back to Earth safely without harm. And while they're doing that, Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk and smashes their ship up. And it crashes. Uh, and General Ross and the army are there to greet it. And the Toad guys escape through the back or underground. And Bruce Banner's standing there going, um, hi, guys. And they're all like, Bruce Banner, you attacked us with a spaceship. We're going to arrest you. So they arrest him. And then meanwhile, the Toad men come in full force and show that their magnetic powers can kill the Earth by pushing the moon out of alignment, which actually isn't a horrible plan. And then... Uh, while they're all trying to figure out how to stop the Toad Man, no one's looking at Bruce Banner. And in his jail cell, he turns to the Hulk and escapes and goes to beat up Ross because he's pissed off at him for putting him in jail. And he finds Betty there and he kidnaps Betty. Um, and meanwhile, you know, Rick is following behind. And before the Hulk can do something nefarious to Betty, which he may or may not be doing, uh, he turns or uh, yeah, he turns into Bruce Banner again. And then Bruce Banner goes, oh, Aliens are attacking us. Well, I have this cool gamma gun that'll totally like reverse all their stuff, Doctor Who style. So they find the gun and they reverse their mag the Toad Men's magnetic powers, and the Toad Men run away. And 
everybody's like, yay, Bruce Banner, you're not the guy who was trying to kill us. We'll let you not be in jail. Except for General Ross, who's like, oh, I don't trust this guy. And then the last panel is uh, the Hulk stuck in that cave thing that uh, Bruce and Rick were working out before they got interrupted. I think you're looking at the comic while you do this. Nope. No? You remember that last panel? Yeah, because that's probably my favorite part of the whole comic. So, Actually, that is a really good ending. We'll talk about that one yeah. later. Yeah. The Incredible Hulk number two. Okay. So my early impressions of this comic were that it was canceled for not being very good. <laughs> yeah. And, I think that's you, true. You read the first issue and it's so excited to see the Hulk's origin story. Yes. But was anybody else? you get else? to the gargoyle and it's just like, oh, the gargoyle. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. And you get to issue two and it's the Toad Men from space. Yeah. Um, yeah, so far I feel like Stan has two enemies. He's got space enemies and he's got monster enemies. Right. Um, and, and the space enemies are kind of metaphor and, for communist enemies, which are also enemies. And I'm wondering if for Hulk, because maybe he's thinking, not to put words in his mouth, but maybe he's thinking, since the Hulk is a monster, I can't do a monster fighting a monster. So I'll go with my other go-to villain, which is a space villain. Because like the first... communist. Well, I mean, yes, the Gargoyle was... A human, altered human communist, but there was a lot of space going on in that issue too, I felt like. Yeah, that's true. They did yeah, they did the back and like forth. Like the whole rockets, the rockets and all stuff. that. So it's like even they kind of feel the same. Like the Hulk is He's involved in way man. too much rocket stuff already. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um we talked last issue about how, you know, we were kind of left hanging with the whole Hulk situation. Mm-hmm. That Bruce is in with Rick and, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he turns into the Hulk twice in that issue and both at night and they don't really know what to do about it because they have to deal with the whole gargoyle abducting them. Yeah. And in this issue, one of the first things they do is start to address yeah. how these characters are going to deal with the fact that he's turning into a monster all the time. Yes. And I like that continuity. I like that bit of mm-hmm. storytelling. Yeah. That they're trying to find a solution. I mean, at least because right now the Hulk's emergence is reliable. Right. It's always at night. You know, eventually that's not the case. But for right now, if you know you're going to be evil at night like a werewolf, chain yourself mm-hmm. up, you know. Not that that would work, but do something. Which they obviously haven't figured out yet because I love how – I do like how in this issue it kind of opens with him just like running around in a swamp and then harassing a town. So you, right. you get the you get the feeling that they hadn't come up with a solution in time and he became the Hulk and got away from Rick and did his thing. Yeah, I also feel that this – that not a lot of time has passed – Mm-hmm. since last issue no. and maybe it has maybe they've been brainstorming for a few days or something and, and so building the uh the door inside the cave is an idea that has come to them after a while but it's possible that this is the very next night after issue one i would rather it be that because otherwise that kind of makes them look stupid like they've had 42 <laughs> hours to figure out what to do when he's when he's the hulk and they haven't come up with anything yet and I kind of feel like, I mean, I don't know if we want to jump to the door, but I feel like the door almost had to be there already for some reason. Maybe because it's a, bla- um, a blast shelter or something. I mean, I know he he talks about, does he say like he made the door? He says, let's test the door. Let's test the door. I've arranged the balances. Okay. Um, so maybe it was there yeah, if- and he's just augmenting it or something. So if, if, if time has passed, then it is time they have taken coming up with this idea and putting it into practice. Yeah. So maybe it's not the next night, but not very much time has passed. Like you said, it kind of makes it feel stupid well, if they don't. My problem is 
I really love this whole cave thing. I've seen it before. Um, it's neat. But at the same time, the pessimist in me is like, well, how did Bruce do this? You know, all by himself. So oh. part of me is just kind of like thinking, especially even 48 hours, how do you cut out concrete and make a door and put this big metal thing there to keep the Hulk from pushing the door open and all that? Part of me is wondering if this is like a Terminator 3 thing where like there's already a bomb shelter set up because they're testing bombs out here. It, it wouldn't be that oh. big a stretch. Yeah. Like if something goes really bad, this is where you go. You know, or something. I don't know. It's a lonely underground cave I discover. It'll be perfect for our purpose. Okay. Well, see, they're, um, they're wrecking my theory. But, it's, but the door is solid concrete, so he could have had the door fashioned. Yeah, like, I mean, what did um, he do? They, Take an X-Acto knife out there and cut out a door? I mean, it doesn't make sense. But He's a scientist. He made a gamba bomb. Yeah. It just seems like a big construction project. Yeah, a bit. I agree. Um, I'm not sure that either solution really makes the most sense but it doesn't really matter because toad men show up right speaking of not making sense <laughs> and with the miracles of magnetism <sighs> they stick them in the air with 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 a racket from racquetball is okay. that what they're carrying that okay fine maybe but like finding the smartest man on earth with magnets that boggles my mind yeah how does that work i don't know um anyway it's just like it's like they're trying to figure out a way for these guys to be all powerful, and someone just said magnets, and it's like, yeah, nobody understands magnets. Let's just do magnets. Although I've I've thought about that sometimes. How magnetism is such a weird thing. It's invisible, right? Mm-hmm. So just turn back our technology fifty years, and what the hell are magnets anyway? I mean, yeah. how does that even work? Yeah, yeah, you, you bring this rock close to that rock, and like the air between them pushes. I don't. I don't get it. I mean, obviously, we've come to understand how it works, but it's still trippy and weird. Yeah, it's like Stan had two little magnets, and he's like, look, if you push on them, and they repulse from each other, so, like, toad men could lift people with magnet guns. Twin beams of sheer magnetic energy strike the unsuspecting Earth, drawn to their target by a science more advanced than our own. Our grapplers have focused on the most brilliant scientific brain. It's possible that their targeting software is not powered by magnets. Okay. I'll give them that. It's but possible. But how does how does the <laughs> software find brains? But anyway, whatever. They found them, I guess, yeah. is the point. Also, these are aliens who self-identify as toad men. <laughs> yes, that is weird, isn't it? Only they actually have an alien name that's not any better. Ready? Yeah. It's in later issues, they're called the Tribitites. <laughs> well, it's better than toad men. Not a lot, because it has a ribbon in it. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Did we mention Um, the Hulk is green? I think you did that already. The Hulk is green now, yes. Okay, just to clarify. He otherwise looks Uh, exactly the same. He's still not huge. He he retains most of his clothing. Uh, His face is more monstrous. I think Steve Ditko's inks um, helped to bring out some more monstrous elements of his head. His nose is shrunken down, and his... Like upper lip stash areas, really. So his face is more distorted now. He looks more monstery. Yeah. Um, and after they capture him, like I said last issue, there's nothing more fun than like Bruce Banner being helpless and then turning into the Hulk and flipping the tables. I mean, that's just a very satisfying feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's just for nerds like us or if that's for everybody, but like it's like when Bruce Banner gets thrown in the corner. Yeah. And then he hulks or out. You and toss starts throwing boxes every round. Toss David Banner in, in a ditch and he comes out the Hulk. I mean, it's just awesome. 
Right. Um, and we all wish we could do that because we've all been picked on. And that's why we read comics. And it's like, oh, I really wish Inside Me was the most powerful monster in the world who could come out and take care of business. Right. Um, so that is satisfying. The Hulk is still really verbal here. Yes. And we do get a desire to destroy mankind, which I think is the first time he's ever said that. I don't think he said anything about that last issue. But he's like, uh, with this flying dreadnought under me, I can wipe out all mankind. Now the Hulk will be the hunter instead of the hunted. Right. I think the closest... So he's already feeling hunted. The closest he came before was just saying he doesn't want to be human. But mm-hmm. um, I love that he uses their gun, too. I don't know why. That's just kind of cool. Yeah. I don't see the Hulk shoot a gun that often. With all the talk about heroes and guns in recent years, mm. especially with things like, you know, Batman and Batman versus Superman and stuff like yeah. that, uh, I actually am finding it refreshing when I see more uses of random superheroes using guns. Mm. Now... That's a in my fiction comment, right? Because in real world, I am an extreme pacifist. But in my stories, you know. Well, and this is a magnetic stun gun, so of course he had no, not or no intention of killing them. I guess or didn't know if it would kill them or not. Um. So chapter uh, page eleven, the first panel. I love how Ross's reaction is to shoot down oh. the ship. You can always ask questions later. Let's shoot it down now. I, I assume he gets better later, but Ross is like the worst character ever. Kind of. Yeah. Like, how can this guy even be a general? This is so, this is so um, 60s anti-military uh, mentality, I guess. I assume Stanley mm-hmm. was a hippie. I've seen the necklaces, you know. Um, yeah, but a lot of, a lot of that like conversation and, and cultural developments came in the later sixties with, you know, yeah, but this is 1962. We're, we're, we're almost still in the fifties. right? He now. has no respect for this character though. Clearly like the guy is just right. Like hates everything and everyone and is quick to judgment. It's like, how are you in charge of like platoons of men? And this is your mentality about everything, you know, just shoot it first. Right. So, um, his temperament, not his ways of thinking, but his temperament is very similar to what Sergeant Fury will be like. Uh, Sergeant Fury thinks more, but he also does yell a lot. And, oh, yeah. You know, it's very insulting to people. Um, yeah, speaking of not also, thinking, like, go ahead. I'd just like to point out that the ship didn't actually do anything. No. The ship did not attack. No. The ship was there. It was flying through space. We didn't see any of them talk about how anything they were going to do to the Earth. Mm-hmm. We launch our missiles at it and shoot it down. Bruce Banner comes out, wanted for treason, as Part 3 is titled. Mm-hmm. But what is Bruce Banner suspected of doing, even if the ship were his? He told Betty earlier, I'm going to go work on some experiments. Yeah. They see a flying ship and they shoot down and Bruce's comes out. They say, trying, this they meaning Ross, trying a sneak attack on your own country, eh? You'll never talk your way out of this, mister. So he just goes right to you were in attack mode and you were trying to kill us with this awesome ship that we blew down. Yeah, it's it, it's a major conclusion jumping. Totally. Um, I do like how the toad men like <laughs> escape underground, though. That's just kind of humorous. Let's go out the back. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Go out the back door. And it's weird also that they their whole mission was to find the most intelligent man and see if that guy could stop their technology. And instead of finding the most intelligent man, they found this crazy monster that totally stopped their technology. Mm-hmm. And their response was, let's signal the fleet to come in. 
And the earth space sky thing, the stuff above us is filled with ships. Mm -hmm. I, but I kind of feel like this happens a lot. And this is the first time it's ever happened here. And I feel like it's the sort of thing that would happen a lot in Marvel universe. Yeah. Alien invasions. Well, this is our second one, at least scrolls. Mm-hmm. Toad Man. Well, the scrolls was kind of private because they didn't see the ships. Well, it's the same scenario. The, the, it's like, let's come down and what were they doing? They were impersonating the Fantastic Four to check out whether the Fantastic Four could do anything about it or something. Yeah, they, they, well, no, they were they were actually using it to stop the. They're planning to stop the Fantastic. Oh, right, because they're the only ones who could stop them. Right. So if they can beat the Fantastic Four, then they can invade Earth. So the Toad Men don't know about the Fantastic Four, I guess. Um, they're just right. looking for the smartest man to see if that guy can stop them. Eh, anyway. Meanwhile, the king of the Toad Men has PowerPoint. <laughs> and he starts a big old PowerPoint <sighs> presentation about all the bad things that can happen to their planet if the moon crashes into them. And you're right earlier. This is the one, this is the, this is the core of the Toad Men plan. And it actually does make some sense. And there have been other stories since that have dealt with the whole idea of the moon getting closer to Earth and the gravitational catastrophes that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I like actually that Stan thinks of this in 1962 when our understandings of space are still so limited. Yeah. Because I want to say there have been stories where the moon has moved and nothing bad happens. Right. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know I've encountered them before because I've thought, well, that would have destroyed the earth. But I have a picture in my head of like the moon just like, being scooted out of orbit, like off the screen, just like out of orbit off the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is an era, you know, our space understanding is so limited. This is an era where the Daleks want to burrow to the center of the earth to like drive the earth around. They're going to establish <laughs> rockets in the middle of it so they can drive the earth. Around. Okay. Well, to be, that's 1964. Eh, to be fair, they might've done that in 2009 too. But anyway, <laughs> cause that's doctor who for you. Uh, and I love Doctor Who, just to clarify for anybody who's thinking I hate it. But there are times when you scratch your head going, how'd that work exactly? Anyway. Um, I don't have a whole lot no, of the rest of this. Like, um, it's so weird. Like This is what I don't like about it is the Hulk is kind of – or maybe it's what I should like about it. The Hulk really has nothing to do with stopping the Toad Men, um, at least the overall invasion of the Toad Men. He stops the two or you know, he, he's basically here to release Bruce Banner twice. He's got uh, the Toad Men have Bruce in jail and the Hulk busts him out. And then that mm-hmm. consequently gets Bruce back in jail and the Hulk busts him out. And then it's Bruce Banner that, you know, saves the day. You are right. And it was the same last issue, too. Yeah. Bruce Banner drove the story. So the Hulk just got in the way. So it's like uh, kind of like maybe with the thing, how Stanley's like wanting the Hulk to just be an adversary. And hasn't figured out how to make him like the monster with the heart of gold yet. Right. They haven't gotten to that idea yet. Yeah. Right now we have this scientist who turns into a monster. And so the monster rampages and the monster causes problems. Yeah. But the story, I had never had this thought before. These early stories are about Bruce Banner, not about the Hulk. Okay. So then my other thought is, that's why I kind of waffled when I said what I don't like and maybe what I should like is because one of the things that... I'll admit is a deficit to my liking of the Hulk is that oftentimes Bruce Banner is really boring. Uh-huh. Um, so all you want is the Hulk all the time, which is, you know, what the title is called and all that. But that sometimes makes me feel like it's unfair to Bruce Banner that they never give him anything to do other than be a vessel for, you know, getting into trouble. 
that the Hulk has to. And I guess it all depends on what kind of stories are being told and how the Hulk is being written. Right. Because uh, one of the few Hulk stories I've read from modern era is Planet Hulk, and Bruce Banner is in one panel of that entire saga. Well, at that point, he was just Hulk full on all the time. Yeah. So there you go again. Yeah. It's like no one wants to write Bruce Banner because the Hulk is the more interesting character, and maybe rightly so. But sometimes I wonder why can't we like come up with something for Bruce Banner to do? Because I personally think like the TV show. As a TV, as a fanboy of that TV show, I really like David Banner. Yeah, and David Banner is a star of that show. It's like the Superman radio show. Yeah, Clark Kent is the lead. Right, he turns into Superman occasionally, but he's the lead as Clark. David Banner is the lead of that show, who turns into the Hulk occasionally to get out of a mess. But the mess is usually him trying to help somebody, or right. Whereas, um, so maybe, and that's what's going on with these two issues: is Banner's trying to help somebody. And in the first issue, it was helping the gargoyle and himself, of course. And the second issue is stopping this invasion. So in that sense, it actually is kind of cool that, you know, Banner's the hero. But it also means like it feels like the Hulk is just sort of filler pages sometimes. Um, You were talking earlier about Thunderbolt Ross being a terrible character, Mm -hmm. or at least a terrible person or a terrible general. He drives a freaking tank through his own house. Yes. And his daughter's in there. His daughter's in there. And he drives a tank into it. Yep. Now, maybe he's not thinking clearly because he's like, oh, I got to save my daughter. I don't think so, though. I think he just wants to stop the Hulk. Yep. And that'll be a character Um, trait we come across later. A thought I had while you're doing your recap is that, you know, like a page or two earlier when the Hulk first arrives, it is a slightly rapey vibe when he walks into the room. I would like to think that that is unintentional. Menacing, yes. Oh. But not sexually menacing. Are you talking when Thunderbolt Ross walks into the room? No, no, page 18, when the Hulk walks in. Okay. Well, see, I was thinking he is rapier by page 21. And I did, in my story summation, sort of hint at that idea. Oh, because yeah. Okay, so that's where you were when you said that. I was okay, like, I page 18. I was like, why do you hate us so hate you? Why shouldn't I hate you? Why shouldn't I hate all mankind? Look what you've done to me. And he keeps getting closer and closer, and it like, focuses on his eyes, and he's going to fight back. On my own terms. And she's like on her knees on the floor in the corner. And it's like, luckily at that point, Rick comes in and stops him. Yeah. I'm not saying that's what he's going to do. That's just what my, you know, maybe cynical soul thought of. Yeah. No, you're you're not wrong. I just would like to think that the menace the Hulk is, is showing here was not intended as sexual. It's just hard not to read it that way. Because, you know... In, again, we always jump into the future, but I guess there's no denying the fact that we've read other issues. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the future, when he becomes Hulk smash Hulk, he loves Betty. Like, mm-hmm. that's the one thing that is kind of like will calm him down. Or uh, And we've seen from, from last issue he loves Betty. Maybe he just doesn't know how to express it when he's a Hulk. Yeah, or he's in a bad mood or something. I don't yeah. know. He wants Betty, but doesn't know what to do with her now that she's Maybe here. Maybe he just he's, he's... likes scaring her. Um. She conveniently fates before he turns back into Bruce. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I don't really have much else except that whenever Rick arrives, Hulk really fucking hates Rick Jones. But I think he hates Rick Jones because he listens to Rick Jones and that annoys him. Oh, because Rick Jones makes sense to his. Like Rick Jones is, is, is his, uh, you know, Jiminy Cricket. And that's kind of annoying sometimes when you want to just be a jerk. But he has get a giant he has gun. smacked Rick Jones a couple times in these first two issues, so maybe he doesn't listen to him that hard. I don't know. Yeah, he he wasn't happy with him in the first issue. He's not happy with him here. Mm. It's 
they pull out a giant magnetic phallus gun. <laughs> yes. And um, shoot the space toad men back into space. Uh-huh, put the moon back into to orbit. If you want to um, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, you need a, a gamma gun. You do need a gamma gun. So that's how that works. Um, it says with the fading of the magnetic force, the moon again resumes its natural orbit. That's not how that would work. <laughs> You would have to actually put the moon back into orbit. Yeah. Now that it's in a closer orbit of the Earth, it would continue in a closer orbit or in a decaying orbit, depending on what angle it's going at right now. Yeah. Oh, well. We'll have to let that slide, I guess. Um, The Earth and the moon are actually really, really freaking far apart, (laughs) by the way. Yeah. Like, I know it's easy to think of the moon being right there because it's so big in our sky. Uh But, like, if you had, like, a baseball for the Earth and, like, a small, small stone for the moon... You'd have to put them, like, really far apart to be to scale. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. That's just me bringing that up randomly. Yeah. Um, so we close with Bruce Banner having condemned himself to spending every night raging behind a stone wall. Mm-hmm. And Rick is supposed to be sleeping, but we're going to find out next issue that he's having trouble doing that. Yeah. But in theory, this is how their lives are just going to be for the rest of their lives now, which is yeah. really sad. It's sad. It's practical, sort of. I was The first thing I thought of is, what if something happens to Rick? You know, like, how does he get out? But maybe he doesn't care mm. that much. Better to be locked in there and die than to have something bad happen with the Hulk, I suppose. It does say a lot about Bruce's character, mm-hmm. though, that his first instinct with all this was self-imprisonment. Yeah. Well, and that so, and that might go back to the whole multiple. I see. I read all this through the lens of the multiple personality disorder because that's the Hulk I read about. That's the Hulk I like. Yeah. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts? You know that he's just physically trying to imprison what he's always tried to imprison mentally. You know, he doesn't like okay, he so doesn't like that aspect of himself. Gotcha. Which is why it doesn't come out. But unfortunately, now it does. Okay, any other thoughts on the Hulk number two? The Incredible Hulk number two. Incredible Hulk number two. I guess my only last thought would be, um, you mentioned something at the very beginning that kind of made me stop. As you said, the first issue was really cool and everybody liked it. And then after that, maybe this is why it was canceled. And I thought to myself, well, did they like the first issue? Because, sure, we like it because, you know, we know about the Hulk now and we're all happy with the Hulk now. But maybe he didn't. Maybe even the first issue bombed. Do we know? Um, I don't know the sales numbers. I don't think we have detailed sales figures for this era. All we have is the hype in the letter columns. And the hype in the letter columns was those of you that bought it really liked it, but not enough of you are buying it. Okay. Um, and you know, it's hard to say how, how much attraction the, the title would have had. Comics didn't get canceled a whole lot though in these days. So they would have had to have some really abysmal sales numbers. You think, um, or, or they were less good than they wanted them to be, and they had other ideas, so they canceled the Hulk to make way for... And what what ends up taking the Hulk's place is Sergeant Fury. Well, maybe also dedicating titles is harder than anthology books, where, you know, if something's not working, you just change the direction, keep the title. Mm-hmm. Let's do more monster movies, or let's do more uh, alien stuff, whereas, like, this is called The Incredible Hulk, so you can't really walk away from that. Unless you cancel it. And maybe after having two devoted titles, the Fantastic Four and the Incredible Hulk, and having less than awesome results with the Incredible Hulk, maybe that's why our next three concepts we're going to talk about are done in the anthology books. Yeah, could be. Um, Well, I know why the next one is, and I'm sure you do too, but we'll get to that. 
So before we get into our next comic for this episode, um, you know, one of the things we're going to do is kind of talk about our best and uh, least favorite for each month of comics. And since we don't really have monthly comics yet, we just took all the pre-monthlies at a go. Mm-hmm. So of uh, the Fantastic Four, one through five, Tales to Astonish 27, mm-hmm. and The Incredible Hulk 1 and 2. Yes. Did you have a, a one or two top favorites? So we talked about doing this segment, and ever since then I've been thinking about that. And honestly, like they're all kind of the same to me. And yeah. I don't mean that negatively or positively. Like On the one hand, the stories are all just kind of a little weird and not what you'd think about when you think of these characters now. But at the same time, they're also like historically precious that it's hard to not like them. Mm-hmm. Um, from an overall, you know, these characters are going to be successful in all the joy they've given me in my life point of view. So if we're picking like a favorite and a least favorite, is that what we want to do? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. All right, I'll start with my least favorite. And that will be Fantastic Four number three. Mm-hmm. And I picked that because the villain was lame, Miracle Man. Um, and also of the ones we've read so far, which all have like first appearances and all seem very important. This one had none of that really, other than their costume, Fantastic Four's costumes and, you know, the Fantastic Car. But um, so just historically speaking, it was the least consequential one to me, I felt. Um, and then my favorite, I just am going to go with Fantastic Four number one, not because the story's better than any of the others, but just because that's kicking off the entire Marvel Universe and that's why we're doing this show. So it just se- okay. it just seemed too important not to pick it as the first, as you know the best. But story wise, I don't think any of them stood out to me honestly. Well, um, the Fantastic Four three was a contender for my least favorite. I gave it the second spot mm-hmm. if we're counting you know least enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Incredible Hulk two, yeah, I put on the bottom. Yeah, that was pretty um, bad too. It's not that there aren't things in it that work. Mm-hmm. Like I do like the cave and the the tragedy of him being cooped up in there, but that's about the only element from the story that really really worked for me. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side. Your favorite. I was trying to decide between several because the Fantastic Four one is good. Fantastic Four five has Doctor Doom. Yeah. You weren't so keen on Fantastic Four two, but it had the scrolls. I really like it. And the Incredible Hulk. Oh, the other thing that's just about worse is if I were to take the last ten pages of the Incredible Hulk one as their own story, that would also be a contender for least enjoyable. <laughs> but the first fourteen pages of Incredible Hulk one were really solid. But what made it up to the top spot was Fantastic Four four. Okay, I could see that. I thought um, about that too. You have Johnny being apart from the team. Mm-hmm. They're looking for him. You have the, the uh, conflict and dynamics with Johnny and the thing. Because mm-hmm. the thing finds them and then scares them off again. Yeah, tries to kill Namor him. coming. Yeah. Yeah. Namor comes back. They throw him in the ocean. And he goes to find Atlantis. Atlantis is gone. He brings out Giganto. There's a really cool, you know, attack. on. Uh, s- there's a lot of good stuff happening in the Fantastic Four Four. Yeah, and I think overall it is the most solid issue we've read so far. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, they are all in their they're all in their costumes full on, and they're they've got the best villain right now with the Submariner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was more interesting than Doctor Doom so far. Uh, I think I said it a couple episodes ago, but that was the first issue that really felt like a Fantastic Four comic. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's definitely a better plot than number one, but I don't know. I just went with the one one for historical reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Hulk 2, I honestly did think about making that my least favorite, but it's like, 
I like Hulk as a character more than Fantastic Four, so mm-hmm. I picked three for FF. Because uh, even even when Hulk is a lame story, you can't deny that him beating up Toad Man isn't fun to read. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was. Cool. Um, I did not look to see what the timestamp was when we started. Um, so I'm thinking it was around 1:20, and we're at 1:56 now. So that's 35 minutes. So should we dive into Spidey? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um. All right, so going into our first like actual month of multiple comics coming out together, this is June 1962, and June 5th saw the publication of Amazing Fantasy 15, and as soon as they published it, they decided they couldn't make any more issues, so their ongoing saga that they started here <laughs> dies on the vine. <laughs> this is also, isn't this the first time it's called Amazing Fantasy? Like it... Yeah. Yeah. So they had Amazing Adventures, uh-huh. and then Amazing Adult Fantasy, and then Amazing Fantasy. Yes. And I think Amazing Adult Fantasy was almost entirely Steve Ditko stories. I imagine that's true. Um, I haven't actually gone back to research that point, but that's the impression I have in my brain is maybe that's why they called it the new title instead of Amazing Adventures is because, hey, let's let Ditko do a whole bunch of Ditko stories and- you know, they're for the more mature readers. We'll call it adult fantasy because nowadays the title "Amazing Adult Fantasy" has so many different connotations. <laughs> yeah, much different connotations. That's for sure. And maybe they had the same connotations then, just not as many people thought with dirty minds back then. So I don't well, know. Well, I for all your homework, kids, go on a Tumblr and type "Amazing Adult Fantasy." See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're under eighteen, um, then don't do that. Anyway. Uh, we don't really talk about the covers that much, but it's worth pointing out that this cover beat is actually an incontinuity story that Dan Slott writes years and years later. So there is a situation where somebody like falls out of a building and Spider-Man swings over and grabs him and says, Though the world may mock Peter Parker, the timid teenager will soon marvel the awesome might of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But the guy's like screaming the whole time, so they land and Spider-Man's like, oh, wait a second. Did you hear me say the whole oh, wow. world may mock thing? I had no idea that ever happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Josh Bertoni, a uh, friend of mine, showed me that this week. He's actually asked him a few questions about um, some things we're going to talk about in this issue. Um, so, so uh, full disclosure, I mean, we all assume that everybody knows who you are, who's listening to this, but maybe not. You've done other podcasts before, lots of other podcasts. One of your earliest podcasts that I remember, and that I probably got me to listening to your podcast, was called Amazing Spider-Man Classics, right? Right. Okay, so you have uh, talked about these early Spider-Man adventures before it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a few Um, years. Um, and sadly, amazing Spider-Man classics is no longer available. So I'm sorry out there, listener land, unless somebody has the episodes and wants to send them to me, we we can repost them, you know, somewhere. Well, we're redoing them right Um, now. We're redoing them right now. Only with a different, different crew, but that's okay. So, so about the cover though, um, it was also drawn by Jack Kirby. If, People don't know that. Yeah. So one of the few Jack Kirby Spider-Man drawings. I think Steve Ditko inks it. Yes. Jack Kirby's drawing. So there's this whole uh, hullabaloo about who created Spider-Man, um, as with all these Marvel characters, right? Mm-hmm. But Jack went around for a while saying that he co-created Spider-Man um, because I guess Lee did go to Kirby because that was his go-to guy, and he said, "I have this idea for a teenage superhero." And Kirby said, "Oh, cool. Uh, Joe Simon and I had this idea." For a guy who lived with his aunt and uncle who found a magic stone and turned into a superhero. Let's, like, do that, right? And then uh, he's like, or we could do spiders and 
his aunt and uncle and all that. So they kind of merged it all together, right? But then Jack started drawing it and designing the character, and Stan was like, oh, no, that's too Captain America. I don't like that. Um, so he went to Ditko, who in turn developed the look of Spider-Man and how he works and all that stuff. So Ditko, for the longest time, was always defuting Kirby's claim that he co-created. Because it's like, yes, you created a Spider-Man, but it was like Captain Spider-Man. Um, and I really did the Spider-Man thing. But Stan did make uh, Kirby draw the cover because he was always like sure of Kirby's awesomeness when it came to amazing covers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit because I've seen like drawings by Ditko of what he thought, what he remembers Jack Kirby's Spider-Man looking like. I'm looking at one of those drawings right now. Yeah. There's like a little cartoon comparing. Yeah. And it also, it's a narration about, you know, what actually makes the creator and the idea of the creation. Is it the, is it the, the name or is it the, the image? And yeah. um, so I'll put, I'll put a picture of that on the show notes, but essentially it's like Captain America cow shaped broad shouldered character with like a spider emblem and a web gun and swashbuckling boots and all this stuff. So yeah, if you search Kirby Spider-Man, get that color image too. Cause I think that'd be really good to put up there. Yeah. Just to compare with what, what, what the, what the world could have been like. Yeah. Um, um yeah, classic cover. I mean, it's been redone so many times it's, but it's really good. It is really, really good. So, doing our blind recap. Now, I honestly have read these 11 pages. <laughs> oh, well. So many times. So have I. That some of these scenes I could actually just recite. Yeah. It's yeah. it's classic. It's amazing. Amazing. I didn't even do that on purpose. But anyway, go ahead. Gosh, Uncle Ben, you're worse than a room full of alarm clocks. <laughs> Don't fat him up too much, dear. I can hardly out-wrestle him now. Hot cakes um, or wheat cakes or what did she call them? Not pancakes. Wheat, wheat cakes. cakes. Yeah. Oh. We all call them hot cakes, but I guess they make out of whole wheat. They're wheat cakes. I always called them pancakes, um, but hey, what do I know? Yeah, pancakes is what I call them too. Uh, okay, so the story is that Peter Parker is um, a star student, very much led by his aunt and uncle who are raising him. No word is given in the story about why it's his aunt and uncle raising him, not his parents. Uh, he is beloved by his teachers, but he is mocked and ridiculed by his peers. He has trouble talking to girls and getting dates. Flash Thompson is one particular person who is highlighted uh, as a bully. Sally is a girl that he asks out. Sally Avril is going to be a name she's given later. Um, And so one day he decides to go to this radioactive... um, display this like energy radioactive energy display how we can harness radiation in the lab and he invites all of his friends and they 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 laugh at him and mock at him and try away give our regards to the atom smashers peter and um he's like someday they'll be sorry (laughs) sorry they laughed at me and he goes and um watches the thing and forgets all of his troubles because oh my gosh science um so there are these two giant balls and um they they're like energy orbs or you know metal spheres and the radiation blast like arcs between them. And I'm picturing in real life, it would be like one of those sort of lightning, lightning bolt arcs. But in the, um, in the cartoon, it's just like this, like blast of yellow energy. And this spider descends down and gets caught in the blast of energy. It jumps and lands on Peter's hand, sinks its teeth and bites him just as it's dying. Peter starts to feel sick, goes outside to get some air. The scientists make fun of him as he leaves. He's standing there. His hand starts glowing 
and he feels all this energy coursing through his body. And without even realizing what he's doing or even being aware that there's a car about to hit him, uh, he leaps out of the way of this uh, car and starts climbing the side of a building. Um, a little boy sees him. Why is that man crawling inside that building? That's the last horror movie I take you to, young man. And um, Peter, before he even realizes what's happening, has reached the top of the building. Um, he to pull himself up on top, he reaches over and grabs one of those like steel pipes that like sticks out the top of buildings, and he crushes it like paper. And his hands are still glowing. He's like, "Oh my gosh, what is this power? How can I harness it?" So he's walking home, kind of confused, and he sees this wrestling thing. Hey, that's an idea. But what if it doesn't work? What if I get made fun of? I don't want to do by this. Oh, the wrestling thing is like spend three minutes in the ring with Crusher Hogan and you get a hundred bucks. That'd be cool. Yeah. So he goes home and makes a little mask, like a little out of out of I don't know Aunt May's stockings or something. <laughs> um, goes back to the wrestling ring and picks Crusher Hogan up on his back and climbs the pole sticking out of the wrestling ring. Um, Everyone is completely gobsmacked, including a man in the crowd who is a TV agent. Um, he's nameless in this story. We find out many years later he is Maxi, uh, Maxi Schiffman. And um, Maxi, several people try to get Peter's attention as he's leaving. Maxi succeeds in doing so and um, says, hey, you know, come be on the Ed Sullivan show and keep the mask. It's great showmanship. So Peter goes back home. He's like, hey, this is a great idea. Um, I'll make a costume and hey, you know, a spider needs a web. So I'm going to, you know, pull out of my butt this idea, not the webs out of my butt, but this idea of, of these web shooters that he fashions on his wrists and the whole thing fits under his clothes. It's all great. He's going to be Spider-Man. He goes on TV, does his spider stunts. Everyone is completely amazed because it's not fake. It's real. It's actual real life superpowers. And they're all amazed. Uh, he is raking in the money. He is raking in the fame. Um, and whenever he's leaving after one of his performances, this guy runs by. And this cop is running behind him, the security guard. Stop, thief, stop him. And the guy runs in front of Spider-Man. Spider-Man doesn't do anything to stop him. Uh, the guy makes it to the elevator and is gone. And security guard is like, I ought to run you in. And Spider-Man's like, I'm just looking out for number one now. That means me. So... Um, he continues going about his business, doing his life as Spider-Man, comes home from one of his performances to see police lights outside of his house, uh, walks up and the police officer in charge tells him that his uncle has been murdered and they have cornered the guy in an old abandoned warehouse by the docks. So Peter goes inside the house, puts on his Spider-Man suit, swings away. And um, confronts the guy in the warehouse, punches him out, sees his face, and realizes that it's the same guy he didn't stop earlier. So he was so caught up in his own fame and his own self-importance that the very people he was trying to help with his money, the very people that he said, you know, the rest of the world can go hang for all I care, but I'm going to make sure that my aunt and uncle are always taken care of. Um that he cost his uncle his life. And so now he realizes that with great power must also come great responsibility. Wow. You've summarized that before. Um, um, no, I am literally going through the pages in my head. And uh, <laughs> very dramatic. I'm super depressed now. 
Um, God. Okay. Well, this is an insanely good story. Okay, so I was just going to say, definitely the best story we've read so far. I think we could both agree on that, right? Yeah, like, why didn't we do this whole best and worst thing after this conversation, right? <laughs> well, this will be the best um, for next time, I guess. But uh, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got Thor's introduction, Ant-Man's introduction, and... Um, Doctor Doom and the Submariner team. Yeah, so well, yeah, this is the best for this. Well, let's not. We won't. <laughs> hey, we could be wrong. Tune in next week, we kids. Anyway, uh, yeah, like we were talking about with Hulk, like maybe Stan just doesn't know what to do when it's not a short story. But man, he just nails this. Well, so much of the storytelling is done through the art, and honestly, Steve Ditko is such a more emotional artist than Jack Kirby. Yeah, I was going to say this is our first uh, non-Kirby book that we've covered. Uh huh. You can definitely tell that Ditko is more from, like, the romance uh, stuff that was going on before these superheroes started coming back. Mm -hmm. I assume that's what he was doing. Romance comics and, like, detective comics and things like that. I don't think he was doing so much the romance. He may have done, but I think he was more of the quirky sci-fi stories. Okay. But, yeah, you're Um, right. I mean, he he makes people look just more like people, whereas Kirby is all about in your face, you know? Uh, Kirby likes action. Ditko does emotion and humanity. And which isn't to Um, say I don't love Kirby, too. I really do. Uh, He helped create my favorite character. But uh, I don't think he would have been good on Spider-Man. No. This cover aside, which is amazing. At least to say it would have been a very different kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, if you even look at this cover, as cool as it is, if you look at the goon that he's carrying, that's such a Hulk Kirby face. Mm -hmm. Like... And all and on the inside, all these faces look so non-Kirby. They look just more like kind of just like people. And he really captures like the I don't want to I the word pathetic just sprang to mind, but that seems really mean to Peter. But kind of like that that whole wallflower um, um, mood that or you know mannerism that Peter's supposed to have. Like right out of the gate, first page, like he's just sitting there looking pitiful. Yeah, he really is pitiful and pathetic, and he's Midtown High's only professional wallflower, mm-hmm. which. You know, it's it's crazy. Um, I just I've read this story so many times, um, and and so have I. Everybody's read this story. If you've read any Marvel comics, you know this is just a classic story. I mean, this is this you know Fantastic Four number one and the Hulk and Ant Man. All those origins are kind of tainted. You know, like Fantastic Four is not even they don't even dress up. You know, and Hulk has this weird gargoyle thing, and Ant Man doesn't dress up. And this is like the first like. It feels like Marvel's like, you know what? We're just going to do some superhero stories now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the first honest to gosh superhero, like, yeah. like you're saying. Um, and there are, you know, there are two other comics that start this month. I can't remember if they came out the same, if they were shipped with Amazing Fantasy. I'm actually looking up shipping dates now. And of course, we are aware that shipping was a less consistent, less reliable situation in 1962, especially since Marvel was going through another company. Mm-hmm. But still, they, they put the things out there, and they intended them to come out at certain times. Um, and so, yeah, Tales to Astonish, Journey into Mystery, and Amazing Fantasy all shipped around the same time, the first week of June. Mm-hmm. Um, but those other two, as much as they have costumes, it doesn't seem as the same even. As superhero-y? Yeah, it still doesn't seem as superhero-y as this, because, um, you know, Thor's a god, and he fights alien mm-hmm. monsters, which is totally what Marvel's thing is and all these books that we're reading so far ant-man came from you know another story we've already read so he's just tag he's just like kind of jumping onto the superhero bandwagon but peter here is just like this is a full-on i have a secret identity i have a costume i have a tragic origin that 
gives me motivation to do this as opposed to the Fantastic Four, which are like, hey, we got powers. I guess we need to like keep the Earth protected. You know, like this is a really good this story you can tell in any any uh, decade and it'll work. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like a connection between um, the Marvel of old and the Mar- the, the, the new Marvel, because like. Yes, this was intended to be the beginning of a new monthly series of Spider-Man. Amazing Fantasy 15 did not see a 16th issue, and so they took some of those stories and reformatted them for later publication. We'll talk about that later. But at the same time, this is coming out of a, a series that is anthology. It is Twilight Zone. It's let's give a hook and then a twist. Mm-hmm. Which you know, it has. It, yeah. So that kind of short story, um, shock you at the end kind of story is the is the heritage that this story is coming yeah, out of. Right. And yet it also is starting up this it helps to start the world of the superheroes. So it's it's of both worlds very well. Yeah, I would say actually that's the only aroma really of these anthologies and how superheroes haven't quite got their feet their feet under them is like the whole shock ending, which of course works great for this character because it again provides motivation, which is what you want in a superhero and what they will do more in future origin stories, which they haven't done at all in any of these others. But um, so, yeah, that's like the one thing it's like, Oh, you know, turns out that the guy you killed or the guy you let go, killed your uncle and stuff. And that, that's very, uh, yeah. Like you said, very short story, uh, um, twilight zoning kind of thing, but, uh, but it really works too. And I was really, as I read through it this time, I was getting Dr. Horrible vibes. Have you read, have you seen Dr. Horrible sing along blog? Oh, really a long time ago. Okay, um, so, so I can hardly listener land, it. if you have not seen Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog with Neil Patrick Harris and Felicia Day and Nathan Fillion and um, Joss Whedon mm-hmm. before people became disenchanted with him, um, it's really, really worth seeing. It's 45 minutes, it's a musical, and it's amazing. Um, but what was the vibe? Because I don't remember. Well, the ending of that is, okay, so the story is, and um, if you haven't seen it, jump ahead a minute. The story is that he wants to date Felicia Day, mm-hmm. and he's becoming a supervillain because that's also something he wants to do. And he's hoping that whenever he finally makes it, that Felicia will see him and respect him more because he'll be able to do so much for oh, her. Oh, yeah. But at the end of the story, his fight with Captain Hammer kills Felicia's wow, character. they totally ripped off Spider-Man. I never thought about it like that before. And so it's like everything I ever wanted is lying here at my feet. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's like, this is, they're the exact same ending. Yeah. He, he was doing the, he was doing the wrestling show. He was doing the, 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 the TV show to take care of his aunt and uncle and forget the rest of the world. Well, he also liked the fame. He did like the fame. So he was getting he that too, because he wasn't getting that kind of attention as Peter Parker. Right. I'm sure that helped, you know, take it to his head. Mm-hmm. But um, by blowing off the rest of the world in favor of his aunt and uncle, he blew off helping other people, which killed his uncle. Right. And it's just, oh, my God. Oh, 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 my God. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. What other thoughts did you have on this one? I mean, I, I, just, I can't even pick it apart. I mean, it's just, I mean, this is just the iconic origin and it's not weird. Like. I keep saying that. Like, you think about Fantastic Four, it's a weird origin. We don't think about that anymore. And Hulk, it's a weird origin. Um, but Spider-Man is just so classic. It's like it's like a Batman origin. I mean, it's about as good as it gets. And you could tell it any time, anywhere. And it's motivation that everybody will understand. You know, someone in your life is killed. 
And in the case of Spider-Man, it's even worse because it's kind of his fault. Um, yeah, this is the first story that really gives the hero a reason to become a hero. Yeah. Um, Batman, I mean, he had the revenge motivation to stop crime. Right. Um, but not the guilt. But so many of your other heroes become heroes because that's just what the, the genre says to I do. Know. Like, okay, Superman expert, at what point do they even explain why he's Superman? You know, like, it seems like it takes forever. In Man of Steel. <laughs> right. No, no, no. That, that, that's my... That's my uh, Quip response. That's probably true, though. Has been done before. No. But one of the reasons that Man of Steel exists is because he wanted to give the character a reason to be Superman. Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman are exploring why would a man become Superman? Oh, that Man of Steel. When he I does. thought you meant the 80s Man of Steel. But either way. Oh, uh, no. I was talking about the Dr. Man of Steel. No. Um, um, I remember there being like a promise to a gravesite in the Golden Age somewhere. Yeah, but that's yeah. pretty. That's pretty. Really, really early on, there's the scene with his dad sick in bed telling him that you need to take these uh, abilities when you're older and help people with them. All I know, son, is that you are here for a reason. Yeah. Um, which is good. I love that movie. But I'm just saying this is a better motivation. I mean, it's got all the Catholic guilt you can, you know, <laughs> you can muster. It's great. I mean, you could totally um, – and he's a teenager to boot. So, like, processing this is impossible, you know. And it's it's almost but not quite a postmodern story before that was even a thing. Mm-hmm. I think you need to give him more rejection by the public to make it postmodern. Um, but it's 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 almost there. And I did write down some of the major retcons that have been done with this story. Okay. So you want to fill in some of the gaps? Sure. Uh, before I do that, real quick, is that Mary Jane with the mustache Spider- right there? <laughs> Mary Jane is here, but not the. Oh, okay. Um, real quick, his costume here is black and red, not blue and red. The blue is only done as highlights for the right. black, which is very commonly done. Except the giant spider on his back, which is later red, is blue in this. And I was reading that so, Ditko um, gave him a full face mask because he thought, well, if he's supposed to be a kid, you don't want to let his. You know, up until then, everybody has like a face mask with like their mouth hanging out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, then you'd all know that he's 16. So let's cover him completely, which is, of course, now the iconic look. Well, it's kind of presents a similar problem to what it does in film, hmm. which is the actors don't get to emote but it, when they're wearing a full face but mask. But, you know, I've never bought into that because I feel like Spider-Man emotes just fine. And if you... You've got to do it with body You have language. to do it with body language. Yeah, you have to take a mime class. Stop complaining. Take a mime class and figure it out, or you're not a good actor. That's what I think. And Dico's really, really good at portraying. Totally. I mean, the only um, cheat he does is the end here with the eyeballs. Um, Mm -hmm. That face. Oh, no, it can't be. He does throw in a couple dots, or maybe the inker did that after the fact or something, just to, like, show that he's surprised. Um, Right. But I'm fine with that. I think that's a very classic panel. And maybe maybe every once in a while the light will hit that lens just right and you can see the black of his eyes. I don't know. but Well, I don't think the black dots in his eyes are any weirder than eye holes that change shape for no reason. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, if you want Spider-Man well, to emote, you use his eye holes and just – They were doing that. They're mobile. And I do like how in the MCU, Tony Stark gave him that as like an autofocus or something. Yeah. Which is pretty, pretty cool. awesome. But – Okay, so retcons to the origin, because um, I don't think any other comic book origin gets expanded upon as much as this one does. Okay. Um, and many thanks to Josh Bertoni for helping me uh, brainstorm and remember some of these. First of all, Peter is a senior in high school in this story. Uh-huh. 
They talk about scholarships. They talk about college. Right. Um, their conversations that make sense if he's a senior. In early retellings of the origin, he's described as a senior. Um, so for these 28 issues of Amazing Spider-Man up till where he graduates, he's a senior. But later, he's de-aged to 15 in this story. In Civil War, if nowhere else, Peter Parker says, I've been Spider-Man since I was 15 years old. Ah, okay. Um, the spider that bit Peter... After it left him, it also bit a girl named Cindy Moon. What? Who in modern comics is known as Silk. Okay. I haven't heard of any of that, but all right. I believe you. And then um, Carl King. He doesn't, he does not say that it died in this. So I guess you could get away with that. Yeah. I think the narration implies that it's about to die, but yeah, um, we don't actually see it die. Oh. One person does see it die. It does say it dies. It says it's uh, split seconds before life ebbs from its radioactive body. Right. It's not quite done ebbing yet. Though. It doesn't beat Cindy. And then it crawls away. Is that how the issue starts? And- but it's not quite done ebbing yet. Meet Cindy. <laughs> um, uh, okay. So this other guy is there named Carl mm-hmm. King who saw the spider bite Peter. And he goes over, and I haven't read this story, so I don't know why he would even do this, but he eats the spider's corpse. Okay. And it gets weird-ass powers. Um, He can turn into a bunch of spiders, and he's known as Thousand. Oh, my God. Is this an old story or a new story? Um, This is... That's horrible. From the 90s, when they did the web web tail, like the web spinning (sighs) tails of... Okay. I forget what it's called. That's what that's from. The 90s are like the comic books version of the 70s. Anyway. He has a really pretty intensely weird romantic entanglement while he's doing the wrestling thing. Um, That's from a Marvel Knights series called uh, With Great Power. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the one that probably people know the best is when Peter crawls out of his window as Spider-Man to go and fight the burglar. Mary Jane. The girl next door sees him. Mary Jane. Mary Jane. Yeah. And she realized that I knew later when Spider-Man, uh, well, she has seen Spider-Man on TV. And so she realizes that Peter is Spider-Man. Well, especially since he's crawling around in a Spider-Man outfit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could just be a cosplay. Do they talk about his spider sense in this issue? Um, they hint at it whenever he jumps out of the way of the car. Oh, right. Cause the first thing I thought of when Mary Jane is spying on him is his spider sense doesn't go off, but it, probably because he doesn't consider her a threat, maybe. I don't know. Right, or he doesn't really understand what it is. Oh, yet. that could be, too. I have this crazy buzzing. It's, I'm probably dying of radioactivity. Right. But I need to go kill my uncle's killer. So So there's this panel. I just want to talk about this because it's really funny to me and nobody else. But on page six, uh, Ant-Man, Uncle Ben, who, by the way, are very old for ants and uncles. Um, so that is one thing I like about the movies and stuff, how they kind of like de-age these people a little bit. Mon and Pa, yeah, Ma pa Kent and Aunt May and um, whatever. It's just like, why are you so old when you're supposed to oh, be? Oh, you know what it reminds me of, though, is that Mon Pa Kent are super old in the Superboy comics. Yeah, but why? I don't know, but See? I realize that it's consistent with this. Yeah, it's like anytime you have some elderly people that are supposed to be wise, like that's Peter Parker's parents brother or sister i can't remember who's related i think uncle ben is related right so it's like that's they should be the same age as his parents would be and they're like 80 
They could be an older sibling. My kids are separated by seven years. Yeah. But there are families yeah, that have like that's true. multiple children, and the first child and the last child are quite a far distance apart. That's true. I mean, my grandpa's like the youngest of 16, so I guess that's possible. Damn. Um, but anyway, what I was getting to is there's this panel where they like give him cookies and milk, and he writes, or crackers and milk. And as I was reading it, for some reason, crackers and milk bless them. If they only knew, and then my brain finished that sentence, that I have to feed on human blood now. (laughs) I don't know why. And then I just started laughing uncontrollably out loud at my own thoughts. So I thought I'd share because for some reason that panel is so innocent. It would just be hilarious if that's what he said. That is pretty great. Um, Yeah, I don't really have any notes other than to gush about this. I mean, it's just really good. Yeah, um, Spider-Man's my guy. I didn't really talk about this earlier. Oh, so that's what I wanted to ask you. Um, if people know you for podcasting, it's probably because you podcast about Superman a lot. I do. So if you could explain why you've pretended to like Superman all these years when really your favorite character is Spider-Man. <laughs> um, okay, so I I have a history with Spider-Man that goes back to my earliest years. Um there are pictures of me carrying around a Spider-Man plush doll, like one of those, like it's almost as big as a child kind of dolls. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had these, I had this collection of most of the Ditko run. I say most is technically more than half um, of the Ditko run collected in these three paperback volumes that were published in the late seventies. I have always told the story that I got them when I was six, when I had the chicken pox. I don't actually remember that happening. I just know I've told the story that way so much that that's probably what happened. Okay. Um, so, and so the uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man 1 through 20, I have read 50 times. Okay. Um, and he's always been my favorite character. Whenever I found out that you could actually go to comic stores and buy comics, right. the first thing I did was go find the latest issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which was 341. Ooh, really? Uh, cover dated no- November 1990. I have to look that up and see if I know it. 341? 341, yep. Excuse my typing. Um, it has a cover that is a riff on an earlier cover of Spectacular Spider-Man when Spidey goes cosmic. I have read that one. Okay, cool. This is where he goes powerless for three mm-hmm. issues in... Um, he lost his powers at the end of the previous issue. Now he's learning how to deal with them. Um, Flash is in it. And I had known Flash from the first 20 issues. Now they're friends. What is even up with that? He's married to Mary Jane in that. I didn't realize at the time just how new of a development oh, wow. that was. This is all like Eric Larson, right? Eric Larson. Yeah. And so when I think of 90s comics, I think of Eric Larson and Todd McFarlane. Yeah. And those are my jam. And we, we very soon after this, we go to Mark Bagley, starting with uh, oh, wow. after issue three fifty, and he's on so, that forever, right? So this was this was my thing. Now I didn't collect comics really for very long when it comes to people's comics collecting. Maximum Carnage happened in nineteen ninety four, and uh, my interest in the Spidey titles was fading by that point. Okay, um, so how old would you be at the next be at that point? Twenty no uh, fifteen. Oh well, that's why. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I stopped collecting comics until um, I started buying Star Wars comics in 2006 or seven. And whenever Iron Man came out in 2008, I started reading Iron Man comics because I never had done. I found out I could get huge swaths of Spider-Man comics from things like the DVD that was published and stuff. So I started reading Spider-Man. But um, I decided to give DC a chance. And since I had read a lot of Batman with my brother, who was a big Batman fan as a kid, I decided to try out Superman. 
and it was immediately captivated by all the cool things about Superman. Yeah. And I read more and I read more and I read more and Superman has Superman has displaced Spider-Man as my favorite character, but there is so much about Spider-Man that I really, really love. Well, and it doesn't hurt that He's my- Superman has this entire podcasting network, which you were probably listening to at the time. You started reading <laughs> Superman, well, so that kind of... Actually, I, I, I kind of helped forge Yeah, that. that's true um, also. From Crisis to Crisis was... Yeah, right. Um, they started their show right around the time I started reading Superman comics. Exactly. So by the, t- by the time I had put together the whole multiple uh, continuities and the crisis thing, because mm-hmm. I have no clue that any of that existed, and this isn't a Superman podcast, so I shouldn't talk about this too long, but... Um, no, I want to talk about the betrayal. I was into the From Crisis to Crisis era, but uh-huh. that podcast came along and I was like, oh, they're talking about the same comics I just read a couple months ago. It's like ago. bonus features. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so yeah. I, and we haven't got to him yet. My favorite character is Captain America, but my brother really loved spider-man my younger Mm -hmm. brother by two years so we were essentially he was technically buying spider-man and i was buying captain america but we were just reading our stuff each other's stuff so i felt like in a way i was collecting spider-man and uh your first your three night your 341 is like kind of where he started petering out like he was into it like around the 270s or something so i have read all these things and then i had a best good friend who also loved spider-man and his older brother loved captain america so you can imagine you know the fights we all got into but uh spider-man is definitely a top character yeah he uh i don't expect him to ever go down my estimation now to be honest i have not read a whole lot of his current stuff oh well that's because we're all too busy um, reading 60s comics. I don't read any of the new stuff either. Right. Honestly, that's exactly why. I have so many old series that I'm reading mm-hmm. um, in the 60s, the 70s, the 90s, um, that I just, modern comics are very much on a back burner. Well, modern comics are just in a different form because, you know, we can watch movies now. You're not wrong. No, exactly. So it's <laughs> like, I feel like I still am into the Marvel Universe by way of movies and Netflix shows and TV shows and and then I read these comics that are really old that were put out before I was even born. And it's fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess that wraps us up. It, it's been another hour. Yeah. Um, Good place to end. I mean, it's on a high note for sure. Yeah. We'll probably wrap up June next episode with Thor and Ant-Man and a Fantastic Four adventure. Yay. Thor. Um, but you should write us emails to uh, podcast at makehoursmarvel.com. And... Um, we are recording these way in advance, but I, in my head, I'm thinking that maybe we'll like insert um, feedback specials. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. We could alter with time, and no one will know. So maybe next week won't yeah. be Thor. You don't know. Could be emails. We'll find out together. Could be emails, uh, or maybe we'll do them like midweek to not mess with the. Flow. Or we could do that, or just ignore them altogether. What do we care what people think? We care what we think. <laughs> yeah, That's why we're doing this. But- it's what this show is obviously about our right. thoughts and our topic, thoughts so are right. So unless you're agreeing with us, please don't write it. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding about all that. Please write and correct everything we say. Cause I like to be right. So I like to learn what right is. So please, whatever. Um, you can also follow our show through, uh, various social media sites, uh, which you can find on make And I'll also be putting up any, hopefully if I can remember any pictures we talked about or, you know, whatever. I think I might have actually not actually said it, but podcast at makearsmarvel.com is the email address. That or the site has a contact form if you don't want to remember to, how to type. Yeah, that yeah there's too. that too. So, um, you know that burglar that killed Uncle Ben? Uh-huh. 
Until he returns to the Parker home, looking for buried treasure, make ours marvel.